So where are we right now? Well, we're in the oldest cemetery in Corinth, and uh, where several Confederate soldiers are buried. It started, what, 19... I mean, 18... 42, is that what it was? Let's go read the signing in because I I don't have that. I'm sorry. That's me with my friend Alice Moore. She lives in Tennessee near the Mississippi border. I went to visit her last winter, and one day we drove down to Corinth, Mississippi. She wanted to show me their city cemetery. City cemetery. Earliest evidence of Corinth's settlement. Oldest cemetery in the city with the first burial dated at 1842. So describe to me what we're seeing here in the cemetery. Well, you come in the gate here, the, there you see a Confederate flag right there. And uh, they're scattered all over the cemetery. Is there a time of year where they put up the flags? Or? Not that I know of. When I've been out here, I, I know I, I counted 17 one time. It's an old cemetery, so you expect that you know, you've got Confederate soldiers out here. What, what do you feel like when you see the flag? here in the cemetery? I love the flag. I love what it represents. I love the the fact that it was it was uh, the flag of people who stood up and fought for what ended up being a losing cause but they believed in what they were doing they knew they were in a minority but they fought a tremendous battle. That flag represents Standing up for what's right and just and, and fighting for what you believe in. Do you understand that the Confederate battle flag to many people in this country, that's, that it's, it's a symbol that is akin to the swastika and that, that it's very difficult for them to see it any other way? Well, are you concerned or does it bother you that there are people in this country who see that flag as representing their ancestors and a war that was fought against unbelievable odds and fought so bravely and gallantly and and people suffered horribly in the South. And I don't think the United States has ever treated a country like the South was treated after the war. People literally were starving to death in the South. And that flag represents their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers and and memories of their families. I had a friend visiting down one time who said to me, I just don't understand why people want to keep fighting that war, the Civil War, over and over, why they still feel so strongly about that war. Well, it's because we were invaded. Our country was invaded, and our country was destroyed. This is Us and Them, the podcast that tells stories from America's cultural divides. I'm Trey Kay. Today we're looking at two icons of the Old South, the Confederate flag and the song Dixie. The Confederate battle flag has been big news this past couple of weeks. There's been pictures circulating of the man who confessed to shooting nine African-American people in a South Carolina church. He's posing with Confederate flags. That led many people to call on South Carolina to stop flying the flag on the Capitol grounds. That brings me to the subject of the Confederate flag that flies on the Statehouse grounds. That's South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley at a news conference. She's a Republican, 
and she's spoken against taking the flag down in the past. But she changed her mind after the shooting. We are here in a moment of unity in our state, without ill will, to say it's time to move the flag from the Capitol grounds. But experience tells me that people won't let the Confederate flag go without a fight. People like my friend Alice. For a long time, I've tried to understand why some Southerners, nice people, people I like, people like Alice, why they have such deep affection for the flag. Alice and I visited the Corinth Cemetery last winter, before the shooting, before all this renewed debate over the flag. But I called her after the shooting, and she says she still feels the same way about the flag. She says it's a shame that none of the church members who were murdered had a gun. She says the shooter deserves the death penalty. And she says it's too bad that some racists have taken over the flag as their symbol, because that's not what the flag means to her. When I listened to her, I realize it's not just that she and I have different senses of the flag. We believe in different versions of American history. Even when we read the same facts, we hear a different story. So it's unfair to you that, that this icon, the, the flag, continues to be associated with slavery. Well, what can I do about that? It's just inaccurate education. <laughs> The, the victors write the textbooks, too, obviously. The slaves, as a, for the most part, lived better lives, in a sense, as, as far as uh, their needs being met and um, food and uh, clothing. And The slaves were often far better off than poor Southerners. You, you do realize that there are a oh, lot I'm of people who there's a lot slavery. of there's a lot of people who would disagree with, okay I understand you're not defending slavery but I do feel that there will be a lot of people who would respectfully disagree with your assessment like your it seems as though you're giving a very broad assessment of how all slaves were treated in the south and I think that there is a record that 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 basically speaks against what you just said. Well, I can tell you this. I can show you some old reports of things that, you know, are on the internet now, records, old records and things, that about some of the wealthy black slave owners in the South. I went to the museum where they had all these, you know, very prominent looking black families. They had their own social life and they're finely dressed people, obviously very prosperous people. I checked this out. And historians say there's truth in what Alice is saying about some black people owning slaves. But it's complicated. We'll put the question to a historian later in the show. So it wasn't this black-white hatred thing. There were even some white slaves who would sell themselves into slavery for, you know, to get passage to America or something. So slavery is not a racial thing? I don't think it was a racial thing per se because blacks had slaves. And when they would... this it. Trey, they did. Alice, I hear that. But, but Trey, and, and, Alice, 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 Alice what, you, what you were doing is you were reaching in and you're finding some very, like a, a little chestnut of an idea that you're holding out there and you're okay. saying, doesn't this change everything? No, no, and, I'm and not. And it doesn't. What's it doesn't change everything. It, it doesn't change everything. I mean, I just want you to understand this is not a one-sided issue here. These men and boys, young kids, had to go off to war, went to war, to fight for the South. Now, just wait a minute. They, 
They left the women and the little children at home with only the slaves. Those people lived in communities where the children played together, and they lived basically peaceful lives. People in the South didn't hate each other. Black people and white people didn't hate each other. We had a separated society to a great extent, but you didn't have hatred down here. This is the heart of a country where people believe the Bible is the Word of God, and they don't believe in treating other people in evil and cruel ways. It was really cold in the cemetery, so Alice and I had to get back into the car to warm up. But I wasn't going to let go of this idea that slavery wasn't cruel. We have photographs of, of, of slaves with, with, with severely lacerated backs from being whipped. And, and yep. we, we have records of, 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 of people and their families being separated. We have, uh, we have, we, we have, happened. we have. Troy, we I'm ha- not talking about that. I'm talking about what happened in the majority of cases. And someone made the point, if you had a $5,000 horse, you wouldn't abuse that horse. You'd feed him well and take good care of him, and you'd want him to be in great shape. You would treat him with kindness. And if you had a $5,000 slave, you didn't want to abuse and mistreat that man. He was a much better slave if he was a happy man and not treated badly. So they weren't, basically, they weren't treated badly. And even from a Christian perspective, you couldn't treat anyone like that and be a Christian. And this is... You know, this is the Christian South. It was strong in Christian heritage. And so people as a whole were not treated badly. But while we're still sitting... Wait, 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 wait. While we're still sitting here in the car in the cemetery, I feel as though I might, just for sake of discussion, give you a pass and say, you know what, there was just like this big misunderstanding with regard to slavery. The North was uh, complicit in it as well. Let's, just for sake of discussion, say that in a way you have just set the record straight. But I still look around here and I see these Confederate battle flags here in the cemetery. And if it wasn't for the horrors of Reconstruction and the really darkened days of the Jim Crow South that in many ways rallied under that flag, I, I would say, yeah, okay, the, the, the battle flag, I, I, it's, it's a sign of Southern pride. But it's also wrapped up in that part of the ugly part of segregation in Jim Crow. And I don't know how you extricate that. Well, do you believe that people who love that as a symbol of the South shouldn't be allowed to have it. We should pass a law making it illegal for people to love their their heritage, love their relatives, take great pride in the bravery of these people and the stand that they took for what they believed was right. And that flag represents that to all of these people. And you're saying, well, there are people who see it otherwise. Therefore, it's an evil thing. We ought to do away with it. Why? Tell what, we need to go back because I'm getting tired. But 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 let's. I just want to say one thing before we leave the, the the cemetery. First of all, thank you for bringing me here. Oh, I'm so glad to bring you out here. And the sun is setting here right now, and actually the light looks like really really lovely here on the cemetery. I mean, just what are your final thoughts as we're pulling away? 
how peaceful it is. I love old cemeteries. I love walking around and reading the tombstones and and just they, there's so much history in them. And I just love this one in particular because it's it's small and you know encased in a brick wall like this and it just tells a story. It just is representative of the section of the country, I think. And my um, cousin and her husband are buried right in there where the flowers are, young. Are you going to put a Confederate flag over there? <laughs> well, their family might want to. I don't know. I like looking out there and seeing that battle flag. And uh, I just, it's a beautiful flag. Well, it's interesting that, that y'all did the uh, interview in Corinth. That's Ed Baptist. I'm a professor of history at Cornell University, and I teach a number of courses, including the history of the Civil War. This part of northern Mississippi had just been opened up to cotton settlement in the late 1840s, early 1850s. It was a frontier. It was the place uh, where the most well-capitalized, most entrepreneurial planters brought uh, enslaved people, droves of enslaved people, many of whom they'd recently bought in the domestic slave trade, and forced them to cut down the trees and create massive cotton fields. And for those who survived slavery in northern Mississippi, those people remembered northern Mississippi uh, and these other frontier areas as basically hell on earth. The interviews with formerly enslaved people bear that out. I wanted to talk with Professor Baptist to see if there was any truth in Alice's version of history. He says there is. For example, it's true that the North and Britain gained huge financial benefits from slave labor and the cotton trade. And it's true that black people owned slaves. But there's more to that. You can find some isolated cases of uh, people of African descent who owned slaves in, in the South in, in 1860. For the most part, these are people who had bought their relatives uh, in order to keep their relatives from being sold away uh, or some other sort of trauma. A lot of free black people were married to uh, enslaved spouses, uh, and certainly they all, almost all of them had relatives who were still enslaved. And in many southern states as of 1860, it was impossible, it was legally impossible to free someone. Uh, manumission had been outlawed uh, or made so difficult uh, that it was impossible for uh, a free African-American to, to carry it out. Professor Baptist grew up in North Carolina. He knows people who share Alice's idea that slavery was more benign than what's depicted in history books, more like gone with the wind than 12 years a slave. I'm related to a lot of people uh, who hold those kinds of views. I grew up around a lot of people like that. Uh, I had white teachers who held those kinds of views. I had white teachers who had different kinds of views, and I had African-American teachers who had very different uh, views about, uh, about the history we were all enmeshed in. And I, I understand that it's, it's difficult to look back and say, you know, my ancestors were probably part of this. They were on the wrong side of history. It's very difficult because it, it makes you feel like, uh, you you are wrong and you are a bad person. Uh, but unfortunately, it's just a truth that, that has to be faced. Uh, and well, let me put it this way. Uh, somebody like uh, Alice is, is not, I'm not saying she's a bad person. And she's probably better than me, right? But um, <laughs> She's a good person, but, I think. But I think she would find uh, a sense of liberation, uh, a sense of, of freedom, uh, if she could let go of the desire to... Uh, 
to claim against all the evidence that her ancestors were on the right side of history. And the ancestors, I'm not saying that they were bad through and through, although I'm pretty sure that being an enslaver did some pretty horrific things to your soul and to your psyche. Um, but there may still have been, been people who, who were not bad through and through who participated in that process. Uh, but they did bad things and they participated in a bad system. And there's, there's just no way around that. What do you think of people like Alice and their expression of, 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 of love for the Confederate battle flag? The polls I've, I've seen before the shootings, the polls uh, suggested that over 70 percent of white South Carolinians uh, supported keeping the flag on the state house grounds. Why is it so important to them? This particular flag was the Confederate battle flag and not the official flag of the Confederacy and so on and so forth, but it's the, the flag that's become identified with the, the Confederacy. And the flag uh, was important during the, the Civil War, but it became important again uh, after, in particular, 1954, Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, it started to be used more and more widely uh, as a sort of a, a rallying emblem for the folks who wanted to defeat uh, what they saw as the rising tide of desegregation and, and the destruction of Jim Crow and Southern life. Over time, that flag has has come to symbolize uh, the resistance um, of white Southerners to sharing power with African Americans. Uh, so there may be formal desegregation, but that doesn't mean uh, that there's actually going to be any rectification of the numerous iniquities that we find in Southern and, you know, uh, American life uh, in general, uh, iniquities that are um, uh, inflicted on African Americans all the time. It's a, it's a symbol of that. When it was being moved from the State House dome to, the, um, to its new site on the State House grounds, in fact, supporters of the flag chanted, off the dome and in your face off the dome and in your face. So it's a giant middle finger uh, to African-Americans. Uh, to people like Alice, it doesn't necessarily mean that, but it does mean a sense of nostalgia for times uh, that seemed perhaps less troubled, uh, where there seemed to be less conflict and, and less criticism uh, of, um, for some people like that, their very sense of identity. It, clearly, you have a different way of viewing the 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 south than and and the history of the south than than my friend Alice and there are probably going to be people who are going to listen to this podcast who are going to think that I'm wrong for putting someone on who has a view that says that slavery wasn't so bad or that the uh, Confederate flag stands for honor and 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 I, do you think that I'm wrong for for letting her articulate that point of view? Is, is, that, is that a point of view that you feel that America needs to hear? Well, I think you have to bring these uh, ideas out into the light. And I think you have to uh, show that, that uh, people who believe those things exist and they, they seem like, and in some ways they are very nice people. And I hope that what that will do is, is uh, get some listeners to think about their own ideas and their own beliefs. I don't think she's a villain. Um, I think her ideas about her identity are profoundly wrong and, and limiting. Um, and uh, I hope that in the future, more people will be able to, to free themselves from those ideas. But we can only do it by, by talking about 
that fact. We can't just simply stop talking about race, stop talking about history, stop talking about the persistence of racism in, in various guises. We, we've got to talk about it. The Confederate flag isn't the only enduring symbol of the Old South. How about this song? You've heard it on TV and in movies and cartoons, and, and you may have even heard people whistling the tune. A few years ago, I did a story about the song Dixie for the public radio show Studio 360. Here it is. On April 4th, 1859, while the clouds of war were gathering in America, Bryant's Minstrel Show, performing at a Broadway theater in New York City, was about to inject one of the most memorable and ultimately most controversial songs into the nation's bloodstream. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now my pleasure to present a new ballad written by Mr. Tambo, and I must say, against the advice of his friends, <laughs> it is entitled Dixie. This scene from a 1943 film called Dixie, starring Bing Crosby, tries to recreate the song's debut. I wish I was in the land of cotton Old times die I'm not forgotten Look away Did you catch that? When Crosby, who is in blackface, sings Old Times Dar Am Not Forgotten, he's imitating a slave dialect, as written by a white man from Ohio. Uh, it's a white person dressed as, as a black person longing for the plantation south. That's Coleman Hutchison, professor at the University of Texas at Austin. He devotes a lot of ink to Dixie in his book, Apples of Ashes, Literature, Nationalism, and the Confederate States of America. The idea is that this, this person who's singing is away from Dixie, which we understand to be somewhere in the South, and that the person is really crying out to be back there, wishing that they could be back, uh, nostalgically wishing they could be back on the plantation, uh, way, way, way down South in Dixie. This is why many people have always regarded Dixie as racist. With its happy depiction of plantation life, it seems to apologize for slavery. We can't say precisely who wrote Dixie. Daniel Decatur Emmett, a white minstrel songwriter, most often gets the credit. But Coleman Hutchison and other scholars think that he might have lifted parts of it from African-American folk tradition and invented verses of his own. One of the things that Emmett's most famous for is his ability to uh, record the purported sounds and rhythms of black speech. So this is a man who made his money uh, arranging and writing songs that would stereotype and uh, in some ways mock uh, African-American speech patterns, African-American culture. Dixie went viral. And although the North and the South were about to go at each other's throats, whites all over the U.S. loved Dixie. Abraham Lincoln had the song played at his inauguration. When the Confederates were voting on secession, the band played Dixie after each vote in favor. And when Jefferson Davis was inaugurated, the song was arranged to a quick-step beat 
something you could sing while marching off to war. And it got lots of new verses. Southern say you can't recall ye up lest worse than death before you two arms, two arms, two arms in Dixie. This is a Confederate version. It pledges to live or die for Dixie. It was recreated by a musician named Bobby Horton. Advance the flag of Dixie, hoorah, hoorah. For Dixie's land we take our stand and live or die for Dixie. And the Union had their answer. Again, here's Bobby Horton. Away down south in the land of traitors, rattlesnakes and alligators, right away, come away, right away. Come away, where captains, king, and men are chattels. Union boys will win the battles right away. Come away, right away. Each Dixie boy must understand that he must mind his Uncle Sam. Each Dixie boy must understand that he must mind his Uncle Sam. But that Yankee version didn't stick. A northerner may have written Dixie, but it perfectly captured the warm sentiment southerners felt for their homeland even if they didn't live in cotton country. Dan Emmett, a union man, was none too pleased. So he, uh, he will say on a number of occasions that he wished he'd never written the damn song uh, in the first place because if he had only known what the Confederates would do with it, if he'd only known what Southerners would claim with his song. When the bloody war finally came to a close, Lincoln asked the band to play Dixie at victory celebrations. Coleman Hutchison reads the remarks that Lincoln made at one occasion. I thought Dixie one of the best tunes I ever heard. I had heard that our adversaries over the way had attempted to appropriate it. I insisted yesterday that we had fairly captured it. I presented the question to the Attorney General, and he gave the opinion that it is our lawful prize. I asked the band to give us a good turn upon it. It sounds like Lincoln is sticking his vanquished enemies in the eye. But Coleman Hutchison sees it a little differently. I think he's really reaching out there, yes, to tweak the South a little bit, yes, to, to acknowledge that the Union had won, but also acknowledging a certain common culture in which uh, the president of the Union, who has just brought to the end the bloodiest war then known to mankind, can also acknowledge an affection for the South and, and a willingness to, to, to work to bring it back together. But Lincoln was wrong. The North had indeed won the war, but it couldn't claim Dixie. In the Reconstruction era, as Southerners became nostalgic for the antebellum way of life, they got even more attached to Dixie. Confederate heritage organizations decided on a standard version based on Emmett's original verses. But they made one important change. They removed the corny slave dialect because it wasn't about slave life anymore. It was more about Southern pride. Long into the 20th century, Dixie was popular throughout the nation, sort of like Gone with the Wind. But as the civil rights movement began to make inroads in America, Dixie was a front in a new battle. The Virginia Military Institute is in Lexington, Virginia, situated in the majestic Blue Ridge Mountains. Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee are buried close by, 
When you passed Lee's tomb, you were required to salute the flag. And I and I and I know the way I got out of that is that I very seldom passed Lee's tomb. That's Colonel Philip Wilkerson, retired from the U.S. Army. I attended VMI as one of the first five African American cadets. Every May, VMI has a commemoration ceremony for its cadets who died in the Battle of Newmarket during the Civil War. They helped secure a Confederate victory. For about 100 years, Dixie was a part of that ceremony. The negative connotation that Dixie held for me, it was associated with the Ku Klux Klan, it was associated with lynching, it was associated with mistreatment of individuals, not only blacks, but Jews and a bunch of that that caused conflict within me. Hearing when I heard the song, music tends to do that, tends to motivate, uh, it stirs the emotion. Those are the emotions that I felt. It caused the conflict. In 1973, after Wilkerson graduated, the student body voted to eliminate Dixie from the New Market ceremony. One song does not take away from the valor of those uh, cadets. The student body realized what's more important, playing a old, outdated song or keeping cohesion within the Institute. And I think clearly cohesion within the Institute took precedent. And this, in the eyes of some, is tantamount to cultural genocide. People now are denied the use of the song because the politically correct say that it's offensive. It's a form of cultural genocide in that it's stamping out a culture that really is not a threat to anyone. Glenn McConnell is lieutenant governor of South Carolina. When the Citadel, another famous Southern college, stopped playing Dixie at sporting events in the 1990s, McConnell was critical. If we become intolerant and we start excluding things, we're on a slippery slope. And it eventually erodes uh, that part of history, that part of the culture. Racism has occurred uh, north and south uh, and everywhere. And you can't change what occurred, but you can grow from it. And I don't think growing from it is excluding it. Because what happens is when you deny somebody that which they cherish, then that builds up resentment. And that's just not a good way to go. I just think the cement of a free society is toleration and incorporation. I'm Carol Mosley Braun. In 1993, I was the United States Senator from Illinois. In 1993, Carol Mosley Braun was the only African-American in the United States Senate. She was locked in a power struggle with Jesse Helms over the Confederate flag. It was a technicality having to do with the patent on the flag, but symbolically, it was big. And Mosley Braun was winning the fight against the legendary Jesse Helms. The next day, I was on the Senate elevator with Senator Hatch and and Senator Dodd, and the door opened and and Senator Helms started to come onto the elevator, and he said to Orrin Hatch, he said, I'm going to make her cry. I'm going to sing Dixie until she cries. And I responded, Senator, you could sing Rock of Ages and I would cry. Did I take it as a as a jocular kind of, you know, let's be friends? No, it was not. It was intended to be hostile, um, and it was intended to be aggressive. Um, you know, and I, I don't mean to speak ill of the dead because, as you know, he's he's dead now. But the fact of the matter is that he was part of um, of a cadre of senators 
who had made a career out of fanning the flames of racial antipathy and antagonism and using that as a way of building their own constituency by exploiting racism. Can Dixie ever shed that Jesse Helms fanning the flames baggage? The controversy isn't fading. In 2009, the University of Mississippi banned the song. But Coleman Hutchison, the University of Texas historian, thinks that we should be careful about dropping Dixie, even if we find it offensive. By, by listening to, by studying Dixie, I think we get an extraordinary opportunity to see the history of the last 150 years, from blackface minstrelsy to the inauguration of Barack Obama. Um, Dixie has been a major cultural thread uh, that can connect those disparate historical moments. Hutchison thinks that Elvis had the right idea. Yes, Elvis Presley. Elvis began performing a version of Dixie in the early 1970s. But the arrangement by songwriter Mickey Newberry gave Dixie a chaser, the battle hymn of the Republic. Glory, glory. Beautiful performances like Elvis's help us to continue to have an ongoing relationship with the song, help us to continue to find a place for it in our lives, in our ways of thinking about uh, the U.S. South, about the nation, about slavery, about racism. You know, I, I wish I could quit you, Dixie. Seems like uh, something that American culture uh, would want to say to, to this song, uh, but it's not going anywhere. this piece for Studio 360 four years ago, and then we did an updated version in 2013, and here we are again revisiting it today. It's amazing how many Americans just keep coming back to the same arguments about Southern icons like Dixie and the Confederate battle flag. Every few years, something happens and there's new outrage about the flag and, and new defenses of it. But maybe something's really changed this time. While I was working on this podcast, a headline popped up on my iPhone saying that some big retail businesses like Walmart, Amazon, Sears, and eBay are all going to stop selling Confederate flag merchandise. This got me to thinking, wow, how quickly the tide has turned. After a century and a half of emotional wrangling over the symbols of the Confederate legacy, maybe it'll be market forces that'll ultimately pull down the flag. Or maybe something has really changed in the hearts of Americans. Maybe this recent crime is just one too many, too painful. Across the South, lawmakers are calling for the removal of symbols of the Confederacy from public spaces and, and from license plates, both Republicans and Democrats. And the voices like Alice's defending the flag don't seem to be as loud. 
Even previous defenders of the flag say they're rethinking their views, although surely some people never will. Retailers who are still carrying it say that sales of the battle flag are up, that they always go up when people think their emblem is threatened. What do you think? Will the Confederate flag ever disappear? Will we ever stop whistling Dixie? And should we? Join us on our Facebook page and let us know what you think. You've been listening to Us and Them. Our show was written and produced by me, Trey Kay, Chris Julin, and Catherine Winter. David Krasnow edited the Dixie piece that I produced for Studio 360's American Icon series. Michael Lipton and Tristan Lozow wrote and performed our show music. Sophia Tedesco is our talented and capable intern. The wonderful people at West Virginia Public Broadcasting make us and them possible. So do grants from the West Virginia Humanities Council and the CRC Foundation. Special thanks to Rita Krasafi and Mariana Trofimova for building our website at usandthempodcast.com and providing us with images for the web. Thanks to all the folks who have liked our Facebook page or tweeted about our show at Us and Them Podcast or me, Trey underscore K on Twitter. And you can email me, TreyK at wvpublic.org. That's T-K-A-Y at W-V-P-U-B-L-I-C dot O-R-G. And please keep those ratings and reviews coming on iTunes. For our next show, we'll feature two men who feel so strongly about climate change and evolution, they're willing to bet money they're right. It has nothing to do with the Bible. It has to do with evidence. And the judge will decide which party prevails. If they have more evidence for evolution then he has evidence for devolution or the opposite of evolution which is real science they would win the 20,000 that's next time on us and them